0: Jim, for that ministry and music. What would you think if I told you this morning that I knew God's will for each of your lives? That I could declare it with great clarity this morning? Would you want to know it? Would you really want to know what God's will is for your life? And if you did want to know, what would you do with that information? Would it be a kind of a curiosity, like reading a fortune cookie? And, uh, oh, that's nice, this is God's will for my life. Or would it shape and and mold your decision-making process that you would decide that you were going to submit and seek to fulfill that will of God? For his honor and glory. Well, it just so happens that I'm able to do just that. This morning I can tell you what God's will is for each one who is sitting here this morning. Not because I'm a great prophet. Nor is it because I sent away and just bought a crystal ball. Nor is it because I begin to employ a Ouija board in my understanding of biblical truth, but because it is clearly revealed in the scriptures. Yes, clearly revealed. Turn with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This indeed is the end of the book, and thus is going to be my final Message from the book of Ecclesiastes as it draws to a conclusion. And this morning is a wonderful conclusion to the book, as we shall see. And as we look at this passage, let's begin looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion. When all has been heard is, fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. So what is God's will? Answer, it is to fear God and to keep his commandments. That's what God wants from each and every one of us who have gathered here this morning. He declares that he wants us. To fear God and to keep his commandments. So this morning I'm going to look at the who, what, where, when, why, and how of fearing God. The who, what, where, when, why, and how of fearing God. So first of all, the who. Who should fear God? And the answer is every single Individual. Notice Ecclesiastes 12:13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, "Fear God and keep His commandments," because, and now these words, this applies to every person. This applies to every person. Rarely do you find a portion of Scripture that applies to everyone. Usually, there are some people in the congregation that it immediately address their, their needs, their concerns, and someone else, perhaps not as much. But here, we find that this applies to every person. No matter who we are, male, female, young, old, no matter what our career choice Is No matter what your occupation, no matter what your career goal, no matter what your economic position, no matter what your social condition is, no matter what your relationships are, whatever situation you find yourself in today, the one thing that God wants from you is to fear Him and to keep His commandments, without exception. Fear God and keep His commandments. So, what should each of us do? Answer, fear God. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said those very famous words in his first inaugural speech, We have nothing to fear, but fear itself. We have nothing to fear, but fear itself. The truth is that we have no one to fear, but God himself. God is to be feared. God is to be feared. Feared is not A synonym for love. Yes, God is to be loved. We're to love God with all our hearts and all our soul and all our minds. But fearing God is different from loving God. Fearing God at the very least is having a great reverence. For God, At the very least. And on the far end, it is to tremble and quake before God. If there is anything wrong with modern day Christianity, and there are a lot of things wrong with it. I believe that, that the heart of it is in this very realm, is that people have lost a fear of God. They have lost a fear of disobeying his truth. People like to domesticate animals. And so sometimes they do things to tame them and to make them a little less ferocious or a little less dangerous. So if you have a cat, you may declaw the cat. Some people like to make skunks. A pet, and usually those individuals remove the scent glands so they can't spray them and uh, create that hideous odor, and so they become this docile, nice, tamed animal. We think that we can tame animals. Roy Horn of Siegfried and Roy, that uh, famous magician and also. Uh, tiger-lion-taming uh, lion act was mauled by one of the tigers that he thought he had tamed. He had been around this tiger many, many times on many occasions. But in one incident, instance, one show, out in Las Vegas, this tiger attacked him. bit him in the neck. And drug him around the stage like he was a doll. And eventually the tiger drug him behind the curtain. And then all kinds of people descended in order to rescue him. He was taken to the hospital. Lost a great deal of blood. Did survive. But was partially paralyzed. And hasn't been in a lion cage Since. Since saw a documentary about people who like to be around poisonous snakes. And they make the mistake of thinking that they have turned a poisonous snake into a friend because they feed it and because they take care of it. And they think that they have domesticated that poisonous snake. But in the documentary they were saying that these poisonous snakes, these reptiles, have the brain the size of a pea. And they are incapable of forming a relationship with a person. And so these seemingly tamed and harmless snakes oftentimes end up biting the one who is their caregiver and is providing for them. My thought here is that people have the mistaken notion That they can tame these wild animals. Now certainly God is not a wild animal. But I am telling you that people try to domesticate God. Meaning that they bring God out on special occasions. God appears at weddings. God appears at funerals. God appears at great Political rallies in which at the end someone will say, God bless you and God bless America. God is be seen as this loving, gracious, kind God who would never ever do anything but bring us joy and happiness and peace and contentment. Say, uh, Santa Claus looks like an ogre. Compared to God. God would not do anything. That would ever cause us. A moment of sorrow. Or sadness. God. Is to be feared. And one cannot understand the love of God. And the grace of God to such a degree. That. It overcomes overwhelms or removes a fear of God we ought to be afraid of breaking God's commands not because in breaking God's commands if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your savior that it is going to result in your eternal damnation it's not we're saved by grace through faith but let me tell you that there are consequences in this life to breaking God's commands. His commands are holy and just and good. They are given to us for our benefit, for our well being. And to break those goes against God's instruction for how we can have lives full of meaning and well being. You will bring sorrow. Into your life. You will bring hardship into your life. You will bring misery into your life. You will bring pain into your life as a result of breaking God's commands. We know the verse there's pleasure in sin for a season, a season, a moment. There are some momentary joys and pleasures that accompany certain sins of the flesh. But there are also consequences that accompany those sins of the flesh. And they tend to be long lasting. They tend to be enduring. God does bring discipline into our lives. Hebrews tells us those whom he loves... He disciplines. He chastens. And Hebrews says that there is no chastening that is pleasurable. It is not fun to think that God is displeased with us. It is not a joy and a delight to go through a period of time in which God is dealing with us in order to bring us to a place of repentance and bring us back to himself. God is to be feared. When are we to fear God? Answer, at all times and stages in our lives. We are to fear God when we are young. Ecclesiastes 12.1 Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Remember God before the days come in which now you are having to deal with the consequences of sinful choices. It's wonderful to experience God's grace and it's terrific to experience God's mercy. But how much better would it be not to have sinned in the first place. Not to be in a place now of harm and of difficulty and of anguish as a result of having made bad choices. We're to fear God when we are old. Ecclesiastes eleven eight says indeed, if a man should live many days, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember The days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. So we are to live our lives in such a way that at every point in time in our lives, we are going to experience joy and pleasure and happiness as a result of having feared and obeyed God. So, where are we to fear God? Answer, in every situation in our life. Solomon was a very wise man and sought to pass on that knowledge, verse 9. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. Solomon was incredibly wise and he spoke about many things because he wanted to pass that knowledge on to other people. Listen to the description of 1 Kings. 1 Kings 432. He that is Solomon spoke 3000 proverbs. So obviously we're talking about a lot more than what is contained in the scriptures. There are the book of Proverbs, but they are not 3,000 long. There are Proverbs in Ecclesiastes, but that's not 3,000. Beyond what is in the Bible, Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs, wrote 1,005 songs, and it says he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So when we talk about the wisdom of Solomon, Solomon knew a great deal about a plethora of things. He could wax eloquently about zoology. He can tell you about birds. He can tell you about reptiles. He can, he can tell you about mammals. He can, he can tell you about all of the, the beasts of the field. He can talk to you about trees. He can talk to you about science. He can talk to you about any area of life. And Enthusiastes 12.10 says, The preacher sought to find delightful words And to write words of truth correctly. For he says the words of wise men are like goads. And masters of those collections are like well driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. In Ecclesiastes 12.12 Solomon gives this caution. But beyond this my son be warned. The writing of many books is Endless. An excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The writing of many books is endless. Books continually are written. I said to a few people this week, I marveled when I went to um, Williamsburg, Virginia, and I went to the, the home of the person who was the founding president, of uh, William and Mary College, and I saw his office, his study, and in that study was a bookcase that was about three feet wide and about four feet high, filled with books. And I said to the interpreter, is this a sample of his library? And they said, no, this was his library. This is what he had to know in order to be the president of the college and to teach law and everything else. My, how things have changed. Even in Solomon's day, he said, There is no end of reading of books. There is no end. I have a personal library. My la- library in my office is about 4,000 books. I've got another 3,000 books on the computer. I've got 7,000 books. 7,000 books. And uh, I've been asked by some of our young pastors to write a blog. And uh, be critiquing books. And I said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not a blogging kind of, of person. Then I was contacted by our denominational uh, magazine, One Voice. When it first started up, they said, we'd like you to do a monthly critique of books. Would you be willing to do a section? I said, no, I wouldn't. Thank you very much. Uh, don't want to do that. Uh, there's a place for that. I just had a person email me this week, one of our pastors that's doing a series And said, uh, give me some books that you would recommend uh, to study for this series. There's a place. There's a place for other books. But the greatest book that one can ever read is the Word of God. And it should be our ultimate source of truth. Our ultimate source of truth says in verse 12, beyond this, my son, be warned. Beyond what? Beyond what is described in verses 10 through 12. And in verse 11, the, wise, the words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. The one shepherd is God. What is unique about the Bible is that it has come through many different authors. But the ultimate and final author is God. And as such, the Bible is different from every other book on the face of this earth. This isn't just a product of human wisdom. It is a product of divine inspiration. And as such, it is like well-driven nails, which means you can count on it. You can rely on it. You can hang things on it and it won't fail you. It is reliable, it is trustworthy. The Bible is unique for it alone, is reliable and trustworthy. Now we have to read other things, and it's good to read other things, but nothing should compare with the Word of God. Nothing should compare with the Word of God. One of my favorite devotional Writers is A.W. Tozer, and A.W. Tozer defines a good book as a good book is one that causes you to put it down and pick up the Bible. It is one that causes you to see the value and the worth of Scripture that drives you to read the Bible more. Good books amplify and make the Bible known more and more. Well, we live in a day and age where there are a plethora of works. And there are so many many books that you can read on an endless number of subjects. How-to books on relationship, on leadership, on love, on business, on particular issues, divorce, celibacy, homosexuality. And on, 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 and many times, those books don't bring a greater elucidation or illumination of the Scriptures, but rather that they contradict the Scriptures. Do you want to know truth? Here it is. you want to know how you should live your life? Do you want to know how you should rear your children? Do you want to know how you should relate to your husband, to your wife? Do you know how you should be a good civic citizen? Do you want to know how to prioritize your life in making decisions? It's in the word of God. And Solomon cautions those that would come after him saying, There are an endless number of books out there that are going to give you advice about living your life. Psalm says bottom line final conclusion when it's all said and done and he's examined everything he says here it is fear god and keep his commandments if you do that you are going to live your life in the most god honoring and pleasing way that you possibly can. people worry about knowing the will of God listen to a very simplistic but yet profound statement if every day you are doing the will of God as it is revealed in his word as you obey his commands and fear him when you are done in life you will have fulfilled God's will. It's about being honest. It's about being forthright. It's about being a person of integrity. Being a person of truth. You see, in whatever area of life you find yourself in, you should be that person of truth. So, how are we to fear God? Answer, by obeying His commands. One characteristic of not fearing God is a failure to obey God. Psalm fifty-five, nineteen: God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abides of old, say law, Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Because people do not change, therefore, they fear not God. What an interesting juxtaposition of those words. You would think it would say, because they do not fear God, therefore, they do not change. Well, that's true. It's because they don't change that they don't fear God. But what Psalm fifty-five, nineteen says, if they don't change, you know that they don't fear God. You know that they're giving lip service. You know that they are saying something that isn't coming from the heart. You know that there's no validity to it. If we don't conform our lives to the scriptures, it means that we don't fear God. It means that we don't have any concern about consequences. It means that we believe that we can go on in sin narrowly and proclaim our love and devotion for God without any consequences. And I'm telling you that that just isn't true. That just isn't true. If we willfully live a life of sin and rebellion, it angers God, it displeases God, and we are going to make a wreck of our lives and have untold numbers of regrets and sorrows and heartaches. We need To fear God. So the ultimate characteristic of fearing God is obeying God. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And there may be somebody sitting here thinking, isn't this an Old Testament concept? Isn't this Old Testament? Isn't this under the law? Isn't this before grace? You're talking about fearing God. And then New Testament, we love God and we serve him because we love him. Well, the answer is both. We serve God because we love him and we serve God because we fear him. And look with me at Joshua chapter 1. Starting at verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses. The servant of the Lord. that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun. Moses' servant saying. Moses my servant is dead. Now therefore arise. Cross this Jordan. You and all this people. To the land which I am giving to them. To the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads. I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon. Even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now these words, verse six, be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And now look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. It's going to take courage to fight. And to take the promised land. It's going to take even more courage. To follow the commands. Of Moses. It took more courage. For Joshua. To say to the people. The strategy for taking the city of Jericho is. We're going to march around it. For seven days, one time each, each day, for seven days And the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times and blow trumpets, and the walls are going to fall down. It takes a lot of courage to say that. It takes a certain amount of courage to fight an earthly enemy. It takes more courage to fight a spiritual enemy. It takes courage to stand up to your friends. It takes courage to say no. It takes courage to be laughed at. And so, a very bottom line question is who do we fear more? Our friends or God? Who are we more concerned with disappointing? Is it our friends? Or is it God? Who's going to have a greater impact on our lives? Is it our friends? Or is it God? Who are we most afraid of? What an earthly ruler will do to us or what God will do to us? And let me bring this home to you in the most practical way. To show you where modern day Christianity is. Modern day Christianity says the best way to overcome sin is to get an accountability partner. Find another human being that you're going to make yourself accountable to so that you won't let them down. I tell you up front, there is something wrong. If you feel more accountable to a human being than you feel to God, if it's going to be a greater deterrent to sin because of what some human being thinks than it is because of what Almighty God thinks, we got problems. And we have problems in modern day evangelicalism because God is not feared. So why are we to fear God? To Genesis For every God for God will bring every act to judgment everything hidden whether it is good or evil. So first of all every act, every deed every single thing we do then it says whether known or hidden Notice verse 14. Everything which is hidden. The known is a given. Obviously, he's going to hold us accountable for what is known. But he's also going to hold us accountable for what is hidden. An accountability partner can't do that. accountability partner can only hold you accountable for what you reveal. accountability partner doesn't know what you do in your secret place, what you don't tell them. What you don't want to include them in. Only God can do that. But he does. He does. He holds us accountable for everything, whether it is out in the open or done secretly. So many times, Christians are accused of being hypocrites. Why? Because they are something publicly that they aren't privately. And why are Christians something publicly that they aren't privately? Because they're afraid of the reputation. They're afraid of what people will think. They're afraid of how people will judge them. And so they put on a good face publicly to satisfy people. And privately then, they are anything they want to be. Because who's going to know? Who's going to be aware? Who's going to find out? But you see, God is aware of what we do, both publicly and privately. And that isn't just a negative. Notice verse 14. Whether it is good or evil. Whether it is good or evil. Many times we just think about the evil. But there are many good things that we do that nobody knows anything about. Maybe you helped someone. Maybe you gave somebody some money that was in need. Maybe you wrote a letter. Maybe you rebuked someone. Whatever the case may be, there there are a lot of things that we do in life that nobody knows anything about. And if we're not careful, we can grow weary in well-doing. If we don't get any recognition if we don't get any reward, if we don't get any pat on the back, if nobody says thanks for your work, thanks for your labor, have you ever been discouraged because nobody ever thanked you? Have you ever been upset because you were overlooked in the good that you have done? Have you ever gotten to the place where you said, I can't understand why people don't see. God sees. God rewards, God blesses, God approves. God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You don't have to receive earthly praise because you are going to get it. Heavenly praise. The question is, whose praise are you more interested in getting? And so Jesus says of the Pharisees that they do their alms to be seen in men. He says they have their reward. They want to be praised by men. They've got it. They're praised by men. Jesus says let your alms be done in secret. That your father who sees in secret may reward the openly. Who do you want to receive praise from? And who is it that you are terrified of disappointing? Fear God and keep his commandments. He will bring everything in the judgment. He is going to declare. He is going to make known. He is going to say well done or he is going to find displeasure with us. Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, I persuade men." Paul was concerned that God would be displeased with his actions. They are two sides of the same coin. Love and fear. It's because we love God that we fear God. I remember as a teenager, I loved my father very much. And I was very concerned with disappointing him. There were two times in my life when my father looked me in my eye and said, I am very disappointed in you. Twice. It's 40 years ago and I can remember what it was like yesterday. I didn't want to disappoint him. We shouldn't want to disappoint God. Because we love Him. And it should create a great fear in us because it is possible to disappoint Him. It's possible to displease Him. And so our one goal in life, no matter what age we are, this doesn't have to be applied when you're twenty-five. If you're six years old this morning, it applies to you. You don't have to wait till you get older. And you're not so old that you can't do it any longer. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you have a job. If you don't have a job. It doesn't matter if you're a homemaker or you work outside the home. It just doesn't matter. Bottom line, each of us, let us fear God and keep his commandments. For that is the whole duty of the Christian life. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to fear you in the right sense of that word. O Lord, may we not hold anyone more dear, more precious than you. May we not see anyone as more powerful or more important than you. O God, may you occupy the first place in our life That you so richly deserve. And oh Lord give us a healthy fear. Of going against your will. May we realize that in your love you have told us what is best. You have told us what is right. And so to break your law we are in fact choosing a lifestyle. That is going to bring us harm and misery. You are not a God who is denying us pleasure and joy. You are a God who is protecting us. May we see, even as Adam and Eve failed to see, that when they could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was for their well-being and protection. And oh, what misery and heartache entered their lives and others when they failed to obey the simple command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, Lord, help us to understand, help us to have our eyes opened that, Lord, when you say thou shalt not, it's not to deprive us. It's to bless us. O Lord, help us to obey your commandments. Give us a healthy understanding of grace and mercy and love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.